today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson, and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Mueller report is released. But do we know anything more? And the Brexit debacle continues. In or out? Does anybody know? Does anybody care anymore? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show. The Mueller report has been released. Four-page summary says there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russians. However, it does not exonerate him. What does that mean? Let's listen to some audio. Um, White House spokesperson Sarah Sanders says U.S. President Donald Trump will let Attorney General William Barr decide whether the special counsel uh, counsel's Russia report should be publicly released. But she says Trump is, quote, more than happy for any of this stuff to come out. Uh, following the release of Barr's summary of the report, Sarah Sanders blasted uh, the Democrats and the media for their focus on this case. I think Democrats and the liberal media should be absolutely embarrassed by their behavior over the last two years in their breathless reporting and their hope. It's not just that they reported and spread a slanderous, malicious lie, but they hoped for the takedown of the president of the United States. Uh, U.S. President Donald Trump calls it a complete and total exoneration. Special counsel Robert Mueller's report to the Kremlin's interference in the 2016 presidential campaign did not find that Trump's campaign uh, uh, conspired to or coordinated with Russia. House, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Democrat Jerry Nadler says that's not what the special counsel wrote. President of his people are saying it's a total exoneration. That contradicts what the special counsel found. Uh, it's a lie about this, what the special counsel fi- found, but we should not be surprised that they lie anymore. All right. Uh, and you thought this would clarify things, did you? Uh, let's bring in uh, Brian J. Karam, uh, executive director, sorry, executive editor, Sentinel Newspapers, White House reporter for Playboy, political analyst at CNN, and is with us now. Brian, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Sure, glad to help. So, where if, are if we? Sorry, yeah, really. Where <laughs> are I we? Where are we now? Are we any farther ahead than we were uh, prior to this report being released? Well, the White House staff is getting his school kids huffing nitrous oxide, but other than that, it, I don't know if we've, we've gone much farther. It's uh, it's more confusing for those of us inside trying to figure out what happened than it is illuminating. And Nadler has an excellent point. Um, I have not seen um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders tell the truth once in two and a half years, so her diatribes get stale and old, and we don't listen to them anymore. The fact of the matter is, we've only none of us know what's in that Mueller report. There are very few people who do. And the one guy who does put together a four-page memo where he chopped out some highlights and quotes, and one of the specific quotes that he put out was that this wasn't a total exoneration for the President of the United States. The other thing I find interesting is that when it is all said and done, there are still 25 Russians who were indicted. Manafort is still a criminal. Flynn is still a criminal. And so it's not a hoax and it's not a witch hunt. There were effective uh, prosecutions and effective indictments from this particular Mueller investigation. And I want to know what the Congress and the, and the President of the United States is going to do for 2020 to ensure that that type of hacking from Russia does not occur as occurred in 2016. And they're not addressing that. Instead, they're addressing the, you know, who's on first, who's, who's winning. It, it's like watching a football game, and I don't care about the game. I care about the issues. And that's disturbing from both ends. So uh, let's see where it falls out. 
Uh, as you said, this report uh, condensed down into uh, four pages by Attorney General Barr. Uh, he did include the line that does not exonerate him. Why do you think he put that in there? Because it doesn't exonerate him. And I think the big question... Why not just why? leave it out? Why not just leave it out, though? Well, I think, I think Barr is trying his best, level best, to show both sides of what went on, yeah. uh, while at the same time maybe protecting the president a little bit. I think... It's particularly because of one incident that occurred. Now, the president of the United States, while then a candidate, went on national television and urged Russia to hack Hillary Clinton's emails, hack an opponent's emails. And that's well documented. It was on national television. You can go to YouTube and find it. There's no disputing what that man did. So the question becomes, if that in itself isn't illegal, then what, what is? And it, you're, it, it was classless, it was rude, it was, it was unethical, but it didn't rise to the level of illegality. And I think we need to address why and find out why that wasn't illegal and to ensure that it does not happen again. The president, a candidate for the president of the United States should not ever endanger national security by encouraging the enemies of the republic to hack an opponent's email unheard of. So that's an issue that had to be addressed, and I think they addressed it obliquely. So we'll see what happens. How does this resonate across the United States, or is this like anything involving this issue? It depends on which side you ask. We are at an impasse in the United States in the year 2019. You either love Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump. And if you love Donald Trump, you see this as a total vindication because he has said it is a total exoneration. And if you hate him, then you think there's deep state, you know, mechanics involved, and that's not the case. The rest of us are just trying to find out what happened and inform the public so they can make informed decisions. The reminder that, that no one, other than maybe a half a dozen people, has actually seen the Mueller report. Yeah. So I'll side with the Democrats in that. I want to see it. I want to. I want to be able to read it for myself. I didn't get a copy of the four-page memo until yesterday, and when I read that, the thing that stood out to me still is the fact that Russia hacked our elections, and we're too busy wondering about, I mean, if you've covered Donald Trump for any length of time, and I have for the last two and a half years, you know that this staff here, to, to think that they were involved in collusion with Russia, if you thought that in the beginning, that investigation would have been over in five minutes, because these people are inept and transparent. They can't get a conference call right. They don't know what the Posse Comitatus Act is. They can barely speak on the overhead speakers to let us know when something's going on in the White House. Hmm. They're not, these are not brilliant people running the government. They're too inept to hide anything for two years. So the longer it went on, those of us who covered Trump came to the conclusion that they probably were not going to find collusion he was just merely inept, and we have to deal with that. The simple fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, our government was compromised by a foreign power. What is Congress and what is the president going to do to ensure that that does not happen in 2020? Has he, and, ad- has he addressed that at all, or is this just still back, uh, back padding and you know, you know, complete and total exoneration for us? I, he's on the vengeance tour now. Uh, he was on the unity tour after the State of the Union. He's abandoned that for the vengeance tour now, saying a you know, total exoneration. Uh, he's got his minions and his uh, 
people out speaking that, uh, preaching that sermon. And so we're going to have to listen to that for a while. Kelly and Conway came on the North Lawn this morning and said the media and the president have joint custody of the U.S. We'll have to, you know, as we have a bitter divorce, I have no idea what she was talking about. And, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders came out for a gaggle this morning and uh, said that, you know, total exoneration, the media, the liberal media should be ashamed of itself. I, I still haven't got a question answered. I asked that question. This morning, I put it in an email. I've said it out loud. I want to know what the president and the Congress are going to do to work together to make sure that this doesn't happen in 2020. And so far, no answers. Will we see this report? Will we see, will anyone see an extended version or the the whole version? My guess is we will not. Um, The president has said he would favor that, but he would leave it up to the attorney general which is a dodge the president, as the chief executive officer of the United States government, could merely say, make it public, and it would happen. So I doubt very seriously that we will. I'd be pleasantly surprised if we do, and I think it would benefit the entire country if we did. Will we ever hear from Mueller? Good question. Uh, Robert Mueller has left uh, his speaking to be done in the indictments, the convictions, and now this report. I'm sure he would like to see the report get out, or maybe not. Uh, but, I, I mean, I don't know any more about Mueller than anybody else, and I'm not going to uh, venture a guess. But I think I would think that the man who's played it very straight would be very upset if what he put in print was twisted by others to mean something that he did not intend it to mean. How do you think he feels How do you think he feels about how this is being interpreted today? Good question. Don't know the answer. I haven't been able to talk to Bob Mueller myself. I will venture to say that those around him that I've spoken to this morning, those who have worked with him in the past, uh, are expressing a concern that the real intent of the Mueller report will be uh, bastardized if it is not allowed to be read and seen by the general public. So I would suspect that perhaps Mueller may have uh, similar uh, leanings, but I don't know for sure. What about Russia's response to all of this uh, of late? Uh, it certainly has been in the news over there, but that, as you said, that certainly doesn't clear them of the other, other charges that were involved. I think that um, I would take anything that comes out of Russia with uh, not a grain of salt, but with an entire ocean of salt. Um, They have uh, killed reporters. They have sequestered information. They have squelched free speech. They are an anathema to to free speech, and the Russian Federation shouldn't be uh, trusted in anything that comes out of that government, let alone what comes out of an ex-KGB officer by the name of Vladimir Putin. He is the enemy of all the people. Was this a waste of time, Brian? No, I don't think it's a waste of time. We saw that despite the president's intent to shut it down, that this worked, uh, that it is the American uh, jurisprudence system doing its job. Um, I don't agree that it's a good day for America because our president was found not to be in collusion with Russia. I think that's where you start normally. I don't think the leader of the free world... Should, should ever be, you know, uh, in cahoots with, with Russia. And the fact that you say that it's proven that he's not is, is, is ground zero. That isn't, I mean, we're really lowering the bar if we say it's a great day when our president isn't a traitor. Um, 
Well, that doesn't, to me, doesn't compute. So that's not a good day. I think it's a bad day for America because we're fighting as, as when Donald Trump became president. This nation is divisive. And instead of dealing with the problem at hand, Russia, we are dealing with a problem of perception. And that is uh, politics 2019 in the United States. It's not healthy. Where does this leave the Democrats? Well, you know, I've said the only thing worse than a Republican is a Democrat. The Democrats <laughs> have, uh, <laughs> they have not figured out yet how to beat Donald Trump or how even to take him on. They have, to even consider impeachment to me was folly because the Republicans own the Senate and they're never going to vote to uh, impeach Donald Trump. There'll never be a conviction in the Senate for him. That's not going to happen. The Democrats would be better off finding a, a credible candidate who could defeat Donald Trump. And instead, they're fighting. They should ask for this report to be made public. I agree with that. But any consideration of impeachment is a waste of energy for the Democrats. And there are plenty of Democrats who seem to think that's the be-all and end-all. Instead of going to the polls to vote the guy out in less than you know two years or two years and months, they, they, they want to try and impeach him in that amount of time. And that's just not going to happen. It's it's pure, it's just fiction, and it's bad fiction. What about the others that did get caught in this net? The the Mullers, or sorry, the uh, the Stones, the, the uh, Manafords, that sort of thing? Well, we'll see what happens with Roger Stone. We still don't know how that will uh, play itself out, though you have to wonder with anybody who has a tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back and proudly displays it, <laughs> whether he's you know living in reality or in his own cocaine and you know induced nightmare. Uh, that's that's Roger Stone. We'll just have to wait to see what happens with him. But uh, Manafort and Flynn are convicted felons. They're they're criminals, and so you know the Mueller investigation did its job. How do you think they feel that uh, that Trump is, uh, in his words, total exoneration, and they're where they are? Well, I think Cohen probably is not really happy about that, and. Uh, Manafort and Flynn can't be too happy about it. They probably know uh, more than we do. And they probably believe that Trump had some, has some guilt. And remember, he wasn't exonerated. It's not like somebody proclaimed him to be innocent. They just didn't have any, enough evidence, or right. Mueller punted it down the road, as far as uh, whether or not Donald Trump engaged in obstruction of justice. He's choosing to call it a, a total exoneration, while legally that's not the case. So if I were convicted and I had worked for Trump and I got thrown under the bus, yeah, I'd probably be a little upset right about now. So does this change the climate in the states? How does America move forward from this? No, it doesn't change the climate in the United States, unfortunately. It just reinforces the breaks that have already occurred. And the fact of the matter is is that we have to uh, find a way to heal. And right now, we're not. Uh, we're doing anything but finding a way to heal. Uh, this particular issue is uh, dividing people all over again. Um, it's staying divisive, and it, partly because of how it came down and partly because of how Trump is spending it. Brian Karam has been with us, executive director, Sentinel Newspapers, White House reporter for Playboy, political analyst at CNN. Brian, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Sure. Anytime. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
Talking about the Mueller report, uh, it has been released. The four-page summary says there was no collusion between Trump, uh, the Trump campaign, and Russians. However, it does not exonerate uh, the president. Uh, and you have to ask the question, does this really, at the end of all of this, help or hurt or or really uh, do anything to uh, bring a divisive United States back together. Uh, let's bring in Ryan Hurl, Assistant Professor, Department of Political Science, University of Toronto. He is with us now. Ryan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. No problem. Glad to be here. So does this, does this resolve the issue? Does this just make the country more divided? I think I would say this is the beginning of the end on this issue. Trump is not going to be impeached over this. Um, as you mentioned, there are still there's a bit of a muddle on the question of obstruction, and of course there's going to be more demands to get more information about that, more demands for the full Mueller report, which in the end might prove impossible. But I think what it comes down to is this. In terms of impeachment, there is not a chance that the Republicans in the Senate will ever vote for impeachment when there is no underlying crime, when it's only a process crime of obstruction. So even if more details about construct, uh, obstruction come out, um, y- you have to recall that impeachment is still a political process, and in the absence of evidence of any underlying crime, uh, it's, not going to be, it's not going to be sufficient. I mean, it could still be politically damaging for the president. Um, and I think that uh, depending upon the additional information in the Mueller report, uh, you know, this is something that could still obviously play into the 2020 election in a way that doesn't help the president. But I think right now, uh, impeachment, uh, it, it's not on the table for the very simple reason that Republicans in the Senate were always necessary to prosecute the president for impeachment. How does Donald Trump look today? Obviously, he's saying complete and total exoneration. Uh, and of course, the opposite side of that, this report does not exonerate him. Uh, that being said, uh, certainly a whole swack of Russia's, uh, Russians and a couple of his closest friends certainly indicted in all of this. How does Donald Trump look today? Is 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 it a different scenario? Uh, I don't think it changes anyone's mind quite yet at this point. I mean, I think there is a broad sector of the public that is not necessarily paying very much attention, and they're mostly focused on the bottom line. Was there evidence of collusion? Right. So I think in that sense, I think there could be an advantage for, for the president on this. However, as long as this, it, it's going to be impossible to get this out of the media. And what it does remind people of, in many cases, the fact that Trump surrounded himself with some not-so-savory people, in particular someone like Paul Manafort, who had uh, you know, engaged in fraud of various kinds and really was in knee-deep with some unsavory figures uh, you know, uh, from the Ukraine. Uh, so I think on that level, uh, it is a reminder of the, in some ways, of the president's poor choice in terms of the people he surrounded him with. Yeah. Uh, but I think in the, I, I, really, I, I think he is he is correct at least in the sense that uh, this is this is a short term victory and maybe even a longer term victory for the president. Uh, at, I mean, we're at the point now where it does seem, I think, for a lot of observers, that people in the media are changing the goalposts on this and that it had been held up for a long time that uh, Robert Mueller is someone who can be trusted. There is little evidence that Mueller was biased in favor of the president or that his team was biased in favor of the president. And now we've reached a point where the worst-case scenario is simply not on the table. Um, I would speculate that for the broad voting public that is not fully invested in observing this 24-7, I think at this point they will probably be ready to move on to discussing real politics, perhaps the real difficult issues of public policy that Americans are going to have to address sooner or later. So I would suspect that 
um, if if Democrats want to keep talking about this, there's going to be less and less of a of a payback for it. I don't think it's going to be mobilizing voters at this point. How how do Americans feel today uh, that their president is clean or he just didn't get caught? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it's, and that is that is impossible to answer. I think that it could be a mixture of. I think for many people, there is the feeling that the worst case scenario has been avoided. Because I think particularly for someone uh, who could try to look at this from a nonpartisan perspective, if it had turned out differently and there had been evidence of collusion, the United States could be in a very, very difficult and perhaps even dangerous situation. So we can breathe a sigh of relief. It, you know, it does, does seem as if that the, the worst case scenario is not correct. Um, is it a case where he got away with it? It sort of reminds me of the uh, the, tech, the joke about the Texas uh, jury verdict. Not guilty, but don't do it again. Uh, there could be an element of this. I've heard uh, the Trump campaign has been, has been described as collusion curious. And that I think that as more information comes out, we will see something that also seems plausible based on information everyone has already had. They were looking around for sources of information. And they were not as careful as they could have been. And as a consequence of that, they became entangled with the various really Russian agents and the various kinds who were operating within the United States. But this was not a conspiracy to work with Russian intelligence to to distort more more sloppy politics. Exactly. They called the 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 initial one of the initial investigations of the Trump campaign Operation Crossfire Hurricane. They should have called it Operation Amateur Hour. Right. In many cases, uh, yes, it was a case Mm -hmm. of. Inex- relatively inexperienced political operatives uh, not being aware of the potential dangers. Well, that raises other questions, and, and I wish I could say that the entire issue after a month is going to disappear, but I think on the Republican side, you're going to see more calls for investigations into the investigations. And I don't think that's going to be healthy for the country, though I think it is understandable. I think a lot of Republicans are going to want to know, you know why, if the Trump campaign was being targeted by Russian agents, why weren't they informed at an earlier stage? Why weren't they briefed on this, right? Uh, and there are other questions about the initiation of the investigation. This, this could potentially go on forever. Um, I, and I, as I said, I wish I could say that at some point this period of history could be closed and they could start focusing on real political problems, but I don't, I don't think we're there yet. Will Donald Trump keep using the word collusion, even if he puts a no in front of it? Um, it, it, it really seemed for a guy that was innocent, he, he seemed awfully guilty just in the amount of times he mentioned that word. It, will, will that continue just so he can prove, look, I'm, I'm clean, they're wrong? This was a, a, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult question. I mean, it's, it's almost like the question of if you think about it yourself, how would you react Let's, okay, let's, assume, let's assume he's innocent. Let's assume he knows that there is no deliberate attempt to work with Russian intelligence agencies. Well, if you're in that situation, do you react in a completely neutral manner, not expressing any annoyance of any kind? Perhaps that's the best strategy, right? Um, but it's also understandable, given who Trump is, that he reacted in sort of an annoyed, peevish right. way. Uh, that, that, that's who Donald Trump is. So his, I don't think his behavior was necessarily in, necessarily indicative of guilt. It was indicative, for better or worse, of who Donald Trump is. Um, so whether or not the, they still try to keep using the issue of collusion, I think it's, it's, I don't know if there's that much political payoff for, it, for, for the president. 
I think it can be used as a rallying cry, and I think it can be used to um, sort of increase the level of support from his core supporters, but that's not going to be enough. And I think the real trick uh, for Donald Trump will not be mobilizing uh, his core supporters on the basis of the rallying cry of fake news. His, his goal has to be con- reconnecting with that 5 to 8% of the public who might potentially vote for him, but who are not necessarily, um, you know, you know, Trump supporters, for better or worse. What do we learn from this exercise? Uh, I think what we've learned, perhaps, is that you know the real Mueller report was the friends that we made along the way. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know about this. It's a difficult question. Uh, we don't have the full information, right? The full story is not there. I think that once we know more about how the investigation was initiated, uh, once we perhaps have access to the full Mueller report and see about you know the the, the full scope of the information, it'll be it'll be easier to assess. Um, I think perhaps what we should learn is that um, many in the mass media got much too far ahead of themselves, and is, this is understandable in a lot of ways. But the ratio of you know of speculation. To, uh, to actual evidence was far too high for far too long. Again, that's understandable, uh, given the seriousness of the, of the underlying charges. But um, I guess I would say, if I'm not sure the public will take this message or this lesson, but I would hope in the future, um, when people suffer a difficult and painful political defeat, they would channel their energies into what I would call ordinary politics, <laughs> refuting the ar- refute the arguments and the policies of the people that you oppose. Find reasons to vote for somebody else. Have a different vision. But uh, you know, it happened to the Republicans in the 1990s, and I think what we'll what we'll see is that this uh, the the Mueller investigation and the Russia collusion scandal was a case of people channeling their energies into kind of an alternative form of politics, a kind of personal politics. Uh, that did not really focus on the actual issues the country needs to address. Do Democrats uh, at this point understand, do they, do they understand even now why they lost, why, uh, you know, the, why Trump beat Hillary? I think, there is a, I think there is a division within the party. I do think that it is interesting that many on the left of the Democratic Party, and I should point out I don't agree with the left of the Democratic Party politically, but I do think it's interesting that those on the left of the Democratic Party are focusing or have never really have never focused so much on the, the Trump collusion issue or even necessarily focus so much on the personal failings of Donald Trump, but are instead trying to redirect attention to some of these broader questions. And so even though I disagree with many of their positions, I do think it's healthy uh, for someone like Alexandria Cortez to say that, well, the issue we have to talk about one way or another is going to be environmentalism. We have to talk about climate change. We have to talk about inequality. And so I think that, um, I, I think that, that shows, in some ways, uh, a healthier side of politics for the Democrats. Will we hear from Mueller? Eventually. I think that eventually uh, Robert Mueller is going to write a book about this, p- perhaps, uh, that many, many people, including myself, will want to read. Uh, whether that will happen even sooner, whether he will be testifying before Congress, that would, that would not be surprising. I don't, think that, uh, I don't think that the country is ready to quite let go of the issue yet. Uh, 
boy, uh, as you said, uh, is this not a tipping point? Is this not a change of direction? Does this not, you know, I mean, he is who he is. Uh, can we just move on and get to the next election, I guess, is, is what I'm saying here. I mean, is this just going to keep dividing the country? Yeah, I don't think that there is there is anything that it was unlikely that, that the Mueller report, at least in the form that it took, uh, it's very unlikely that this was going to you know eliminate the divisions on this question, just because people are so invested in it. And you can spend a little time looking at line. People are parsing that four page memo from Attorney General William Barr, going through it line by line. Uh, it's it, it is difficult for people to admit that they're wrong of course, and it is difficult. Uh, and in some cases, you know, there, they, there can be still some legitimate reasons for, for concern about uh, the nature of the evidence that's involved. Um, I think that what people will be looking for, particular elected Democrats, is the state of public opinion on this. And I think that um, for the general public who ha- is not so invested or familiar with the fine-grained details, it is quite possible that they will no longer have any interest in this. And I think that you will find increasingly, if, it, if that is the case and the public wants to turn in another direction, you know, look to the Democratic presidential candidates. Are they going to continue uh, to want to campaign on this issue or do they want to try to change the agenda, have a different kind of conversation? I wouldn't be surprised uh, if those Democratic presidential candidates want to, want to look towards two, tw- 2020, pay less attention up to, on 2016. Does the public look at this and think something still stinks? Uh, I think it depends upon your degree of involvement. I think that, you know, partisans on both sides, right, I I focused a bit on Democrats or might have some difficulty giving up the issue. I think now you will see that Republicans will want to investigate the investigators. They'll want to go back to look at how the case was initiated, look what was happening during the Obama administration. And uh, but I, I think that that is a relatively small set of the public. Um, I think that what most people would be concerned with um, is, the, is just the, the bare bones issue. Is there evidence that Trump was working with a foreign government? Once that question is more or less answered, there can never be perfect exoneration. Of course, all you can show is that there's not enough evidence of, you know, to to indict. Uh, once that question is answered, it will seem like partisan hackery to a lot of voters to continue bringing it up. Uh, was this a waste of time, do you think, Ryan? Um, uh, does this pe- make people more cynical about politics? Look, I don't think that investigating Russian interference in the election in 2016 was in any way, shape, or form a waste of time. I do think retrospectively that it, it could have been handled in a slightly different way. I think that if the Obama administration perhaps had acted on this at an earlier stage in a more public way, um, it could have it could have it could have allowed the public to see this as a nonpartisan issue. Like the fact is that there are foreign countries like Russia who are trying to interfere, and it's someone, regardless of your partisan stance, everyone should be concerned with, right? So on that issue, it is absolutely the case that the investigation was not a waste of time. I think that um, some facets of it. Uh, it could have developed in a different way. Uh, I, I do think it's unfortunate that this issue of foreign interference has become hot, so highly partisan. So how does Donald Trump approach this coming into the next election? Uh, does he learn anything from this? Um, 
I think that he will. Be, I, I think he will be tempted to use it as part of the general uh, rallying cry against against mass media. But when he's campaigning, is he going to tell Russia to hack emails again? I mean, is he going to be so bold and blunt? Oh, uh, that's an interesting question. I would, ima- I would imagine not. I, I imagine that he is, has learned a lesson that any kind of, you know, any kind of rhetoric supporting, supportive of Putin or trying to um, you know, re- emphasize any idea about resetting the United States relationship with Russia, I think it would be strange if he did not learn something about that, right? Well, no. Instead, what he's going to do is try to is to focus on the idea, which is you know has been made plausible by the events of the last three years that mass media and even to some extent, uh, you know, the the administrative state, the deep state, uh, that they're allied against him, right? And I think those are two you know uh, two elements of the American political system that, for his core supporters, uh, you know, it it always makes sense to attack them. Ryan Hurl has been with us, Assistant Professor, Department of Political Science, University of Toronto. Ryan, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. No problem at all. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's go across the pond. Uh, the Brexit debacle, a debacle continues. See, everybody's got the problems. Look what's happening south of the border. Look at, you know, what we're doing here, what we're, it seems like fuddle-duddle, really, doesn't it? Uh, the Brexit debate continues in Britain. The MPs are expected to vote on alternatives to uh, the Prime Minister's Brexit deal. Uh, let's play you some audio here, and uh, this is probably going to get kind of interesting. Uh, the future of, of British Prime Minister Theresa May and her Brexit deal is growing more uncertain. There's mounting speculation that cabinet members in the country's Conservative Party are trying to force her to step down. Chancellor Philip Hammond says ousting May is not the best way forward. This is not about the Prime Minister or any other individual. This is about the future of our country. Uh, and, and, and changing Prime Minister wouldn't help us. Changing party in government wouldn't help us. Uh, Anti-Brexit po- uh, protesters flooded into London by the hundreds of thousands to demand a new referendum on whether Britain should leave the European Union. The People's Vote March covered uh, converged on the UK Parliament, where the fate of Brexit will be decided in the coming weeks. Campaign organizer James Pritchard says the march should not be taken lightly by politicians. You know, it's incredibly exciting. There's a great spirit here. And all we would say is to the Prime Minister and to Parliament, to all our MPs, listen to what people are saying here today. Incredibly important message. And the message is, put it to the people. All right, let's bring in Adam Pankratz, UBC Saunders School of Business, and is with us now. Adam, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Nice to talk with you. Uh, after the weekend, how would you capsulize where Britain is now? <laughs> well, um, I don't think anybody, including the Prime Minister and her Cabinet Ministers, know exactly where they are. Uh, this is a, a government and parliamentary crisis, the likes of which are seldom seen. Um, and and the, the the tone in the in the House of Commons today in London um, certainly was was indicative of that. With the Prime Minister uh, first off today indicating that she does not have the meaningful the, the votes to pass her deal on the third try through, and then also seeming to indicate rather bizarrely that the she would not be bound necessarily by the indicative votes which are to come on where the Brexit process will go from here, which um, has quite understandably uh, angered or infuriated uh, opposition and even members of her own party. 
Uh, it almost seems as if they want to hang Theresa May one minute and then the next minute are locking the door so she doesn't get out. Uh, where does this move forward? Is the best option for her to step down? Well, the Conservative Party has been trapped now for um, a couple years through the Brexit process and with Theresa May in that they don't want her version of Brexit. They've made that clear, and Parliament has made that very clear. But the Conservative Party also doesn't have any good and has not had any good replacement options for her as Prime Minister. And through the whole process, while the Conservative Party doesn't like what Theresa May has done with Brexit and doesn't like her negotiating style, and and probably quite rightly so, um, what they dislike more is the idea that if something went wrong in a general election and Jeremy Corbyn ended up as prime minister, that would be a real catastrophe for them. Um, So they've, they've been trying to, 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 to to find a way to kneecap her at every opportunity, but not being willing to go so far as to actually remove her or force a general election, which could see labor elected. So how can you criticize her if you don't have a better option? Well, so I've I've said for quite a while that I you know I I I felt bad for Theresa May that she was dealt an impossible hand, yeah. and that um, you know there should be a little bit more uh, attention paid to the fact that she was not the one who initiated this process. It was David Cameron. It was Nigel uh, Farage, and and they really should be um, more in the spotlight and sharing more of the blame for this entire mess that has occurred. However. Uh, I think it's also fair to say that recently Mrs. May has seemed determined to make the worst of a bad situation. And and her negotiating tactics of immediately um, invoking um, the Article 50, drawing her red lines, um, coming out at the European Union that, you know, no deal is better than a bad deal, and really not understanding seemingly where Britain lay and where they lie in this in this whole process has really made the, 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 the Brexit process worse than it needed to be. It was probably never going to be good, but it, it certainly has made it worse. So how do you move forward with deadlines tightening? I mean, the extension's there, but, but still, she doesn't feel that she has the confidence to even move this motion forward. So what is the extension going to do? Well, the extension is going to give the the UK Parliament a couple more weeks to the, to try to tell the European Union what they want, uh, like you just quite rightly indicated. You know, how do you criticize Theresa May? But then, you know, you criticize her. Well, this is what we don't want. The Parliament is very very clear on that. What they do not want, but they have as of yet not been able to articulate in any type of clear manner what it is they want. There are a number of different factions uh, within Parliament and within Theresa May's own party. So uh, from everything to revoking Article 50 entirely to um, just extending for a longer period of time to exiting with no deal, which I think most people would agree would be a catastrophe, to even calling another referendum. Um, But there isn't a clear majority for any of those. So uh, that's what Theresa May keeps on saying back to Parliament is, you know, fine, you have put my you have not accepted my deal but what is it that you want and that's what the european union i think through their negotiating strategy is trying to force out of tree out of uh, the british parliament by only offering this short extension um if if the if the 
Parliament does not quickly articulate what it is they want, then there will be a no deal. And the Europeans are banking on the fact that despite the vast differences of opinion that exist, nobody wants a no deal, and that that will focus and concentrate minds. If they haven't left yet, will they ever? I mean, if you can't get, if you can only get this far out of, you know, as much time negotiation debate that's been put into this, what what will more time do? What does any, why does anybody think there's a solution here? <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 what seems to be appearing is that no deal now seems to be almost becoming more likely, in, if, more than it was at least. And, you know, I will never underestimate the ability of parliaments or people in decision in groups uh, making stupid decisions. So I will never rule that out. Mm. Um, I hope that, you know, I've, I've always thought they would, they would manage to get their act together and not do that. However, I think really where this is probably going, um, despite the, the, the desire, said desire so far not to do it, is to a second referendum. It's not that a second referendum is an ideal solution, but right now it is the least bad of the options available. And, um, you know, I, I have a tough time, and I think a lot of people do, squaring the Conservative Party and Miss May's opinion that, well, a second referendum would be a miscarriage of democracy. Well, how is that a miscarriage of democracy if you are trying to push through a third vote just because you didn't get your way on exactly the same thing. Mm. That also seems to be, you know, along that same philosophy. So I think it's likely that we're going towards a second referendum, kicking and screaming perhaps. And again, not because it's a good option, but it's the least bad of the options available. If that, in fact, does happen, how will a second referendum be different than the first? Well, I think... Not even so much as the results, even the question, just the way it's handled. Yeah, so w- that I mean, that is a key question. Uh, it seems like where we might go with that referendum is, well, here's the deal we have. Do you want this? Um, here's the deal the European Union is offering. Do you want this or do you want to stay? Um, but of course, there could be, you know, different there different possibilities that they come up with, whether it's between no deal and, and Theresa May's and leaving or staying. It could get quite complicated on that. And, and that nobody, I think, has really looked at that in detail yet within Theresa May's government. Um, how would it be different? I think the main thing is that people now have actually paid attention and understand uh, what it is that is at stake. Uh, I think young people will be more motivated to get out and vote. You know, there's no, cons- there's no group of UK voters under 45. When you look at the bright break and how the voting went down last time, no one, no group of voters under 45 voted to leave the European Union, and no group of voters above 45 voted to stay in the European Union. So I mean, like 45 to you know 36, 39, or type of age group. So every all the younger people wanted to stay, and um, but they typically are not people who get right. out and vote. We know that. Um, well, we so certainly I, remember what you know the day after the the, the Brexit vote came came down. Everybody, oh my goodness, I can't believe this actually happened. It was as if they were daring it to happen, but didn't. Didn't David, want it to. Yeah, well, exactly. David Cameron um, was was supremely confident that no, the UK would not do that, and uh, and I think was based in that partly on his victory in a Scottish referendum earlier. And and you know the the um, 
the Google search results, I think, tell us actually a lot. The day after the uh, EU referendum in Britain, the number one search uh, on Google in the UK it was, what is the European Union? And, um, you know, that's just a, an indication, I think, that people did not understand what they were voting for. They were mad at David Cameron. And, and this is, gets to a larger issue, I think, um, and one that I, I've said for, for a long time, too. Referendums are not a great way to, um, for governments to institute policy uh, or to make decisions hmm. because y- you end up with, you know, people voting not for the policy, you end up voting for them because they're mad at the government. And, you know, we in British Columbia, say we had that with the HST, where uh, it probably was, or it was a good economic policy, but citizens of British Columbia were mad at the government, so they voted it down. Um, that was not good for business. That was not good for the province as a whole, likely, um, but it just reflected citizens' anger. So, again, that's pushing towards a second referendum. Is it an ideal solution? No, but it is where the UK has ended up now, and it's the least bad of the options available. So how, do, how does the UK get there, especially when Theresa May doesn't want anything to do with that? Um, well, that is where Parliament is, the institution of Parliament uh, is going to uh, need to take control through these series of indicative votes. And we're going to learn a lot uh, in the next two or three days about where Parliament uh, thinks this process should go, uh, what they view as being the preferred options, and what what they're prepared to do. And and again, that can go from everything to another referendum to revoking Article 50, which doesn't mean no Brexit, but it obviously eliminates the deadline and timetables, to even Parliament not being able to agree and, and going for the nuclear catastrophic option of no deal. I think that's the least likely, but... Um, you know, we're going to know in the next in the next couple of days uh, where they where where MPs seem to to want to go with this. Where is Boris Johnson on all of this? <laughs> where is Boris? Johnson? It seems to have poked the bear and then run into the weeds. He he's still he's still um, sniping from the sidelines, and uh, you know, recently wrote an article in the Telegraph, basically saying to get we need to get out of the European Union at all costs. Um, he's also making um, attempts, I think, at aligning him or lining himself up for when Theresa May is inevitably removed as prime minister, mm-hmm. that he ultimately becomes prime minister. Um, again, I think that's uh, a very would be a very risky move by the Conservative Party. Um, you know, Boris Johnson has consistently demonstrated his willingness to. Um, pander and play to the lowest common denominator, much like Donald Trump, actually. Um, and, and, and just doesn't, it doesn't either seem to be aware of the reality of what Britain is, is, um, is doing if they leave the European Union with no deal, or even at, if they are leaving the European Union. And I think Boris Johnson is probably pretty typical of the, um, the the Englishman who you know lost an empire but is still searching for a role in the world and Boris Johnson um, behaves in that manner I think quite frequently uh, he is not <laughs> he, he's very loud he he's, he gets a lot of support from from hardline uh, Brexiteers but he he would be a very dangerous option as prime minister. Adam Pankratz has been with us, University of British Columbia, uh, Sodder School of Business. Adam, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. 
My pleasure, Scott. Nice speaking with you. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.